So the reading is from Hebrews 1, uh, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 4. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Thanks Dorothy very much for uh, reading. And um, as I've been uh, mulling over this passage during the last week, somewhat unsurprisingly, I've been thinking about angels quite a lot. And um, I shared my thoughts with Alison and Claire, my esteemed Christians and Parliament colleagues, and literally all of four seconds went past before Claire mentioned Robbie Williams. <laughs> now, if you want to know uh, more about who Robbie Williams is, please stay behind to chat to Sir Gareth Streeter afterwards. <laughs> He'll tell you all you need to know about Robbie Williams. But suffice to say that he is a pop star of global renown, and his most famous song, I think it's fair to say, is a song called Angels. Now, Claire went on to share that um, in her first job after graduating, she was at an induction event with all her fellow new joiners, when suddenly they were each asked to sing their favourite song <laughs> to all their fellow new joiners, unaccompanied and uh, by heart. 
can you can you imagine it? I, I mean, I can feel my heart rate rocketing and my palms sweating as I just think about the scenario. And and you're all now panicking, thinking, what would I sing? What would I sing in that moment? Well, anyway, in that moment of blind heart racing panic, Claire chose Angels by Robbie Williams, and I'm delighted to say that today. <laughs> Of course, I would never do that to you. I know it's been painful uh, enough, just even remembering it. Now look, um, Robbie, in, in that song, his central message is that when love is dead, and many of you will remember this, when all others forsake him, whatever he's got wrong, wherever the waterfall of life takes him, he knows there are angels who watch over him, who will never forsake him, and who give him love, protection, even salvation itself. And so he concludes, I'm loving angels instead. Now this group of Jewish Christians that this letter of the Hebrews uh, was originally written to, they had quite a thing going on about angels too. And the reason for this, you can see um, in in the passage on your sheets, in in chapter 2, verse 2, The letter writer says that the message spoken through angels was binding. Now this binding message referred to here is the Old Testament law. And it's hinted at in the Old Testament, but in several places in the New Testament said explicitly that angels played a role in the giving of the Old Testament law to Moses and the people of God. So it's very important when we read about angels here in this context, we must keep in mind that for these Jewish Christians, angels had a particular association with the giving of the Old Testament law. And this letter is written to this group of Jewish Christians who who were being persecuted for their newfound faith in Jesus Christ. And they're tempted to go back to their old faith. And it was very tempting. Judaism was an established religion. It had been around for more than a thousand years. It had a temple, it had priests, it had synagogues, an extraordinary history and collection of scriptures. And finally, a set of laws given by God, delivered by angels even. It was so tempting to go back to. And the writer of this um, letter, his, his urgent message is, ver- uh, 2 verse 1, don't drift back to it. Don't drift away from the salvation that you have discovered in Jesus Christ, um, 2 verse 3. And in order to stop them drifting um, back, he's got two, he's got two uh, arguments that he makes uh, in, this, in this passage. He wants them to see that this message about Jesus Christ, referred to as the Son in this passage, that it's, it's a supreme message, and it's a sure message. So let's just have a think for a moment first about this supreme message. And that's, that's verses 1 to 14, essentially. In verses 1 to 4, the, the writer states, he sets out the superiority of the Son over the angels. He, he describes the Son incredibly as the supreme creator, as the supreme revealer of God, and as the supreme redeemer of humanity's sins. And then, in verses 5 to 14, in a masterstroke, he he argues his case, he backs these uh, stated claims up, 
from the very Old Testament scriptures that these Jewish Christians were drifting back to. And you'll see uh, in the footnotes, he, he quotes seven different Old Testament texts to show the supremacy of this Jesus the Son over the angels. So first, uh, the first way in which he's supreme, he quotes Psalm 2 and, and 2 Samuel 7, both texts which predict uh, the future Messiah or the ideal king who's to come in the future. And, he, and the writer says that these texts apply to Jesus, that he's the long-promised Messiah king. Second, in verse 8, uh, the writer says that Jesus the Son is no, nothing less than God himself. You see, he writes, but about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And then there's even more, verses 8 and 9. He quotes Psalm 45 this time, which predicts that he will rule over an everlasting kingdom of perfect justice. And then in verse 13, another psalm, Psalm 110, to make the same point. This son will be a king who rules over all things in the future, including all who stand opposed to God. And then finally, verse 10, this son is described as nothing less than the everlasting creator and judge of the world. So in summary, the writer is saying, Jesus the Son is God, he's creator and judge of the world, and he's the promised messianic king who's going to bring perfect, everlasting justice. It's not a bad CV, is it? And the writer, like a, a top barrister, he, he's built up this impressive case for the supremacy of Jesus over the angels. And just to make sure his, his readers have really got the point, he asks twice in verses 5 and 13, to which of the angels did God ever say these things? Answer, none of them. On the contrary, in the Bible, the angels are the servants of God in a whole variety of ways. And even in verse 14, he says they're actually servants of the people of God, those who inherit salvation. And one of the ways we see the, the angels uh, serving in the Bible is as messengers, as messengers of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So I think the writer's point is, is fairly simple here. He, he's saying to these Hebrew Christians, don't worship the angels because they were messengers of God's law. Worship the one who's the giver of that law, the one who's creator, judge, and everlasting king. Let's take a breather for a moment and go back to Robbie Williams. Just, just so that I can mention to you that I once sat next to him on a plane. Uh, I was on a flight back from Dublin. It was somewhere in sort of late 90s. And, and during, the uh, during the flight, I, I noticed that the, I, I realised I was sitting across the aisle from him. And I, I noticed a, a few times him trying to get my attention and start a conversation understandably, but obviously I was, <laughs> I was too cool to uh, talk to him, so I pretended I hadn't noticed him and kept my headphones on. Or, or maybe it was the other way around. <laughs> uh, I, I forget. Anyway, when we got up to leave the plane, I'll never forget the coat that he, he put on. It was this incredible full-length coat. And on the back of it, uh, across the whole of the back of it, was this incredible painting of, of Christ on the cross. And I, I did think to myself, I had the sort of presence of mind at the time not to actually say it, but I at least thought it. There he was, singing you know, about the love, uh, protection and salvation of angels 
And yet, all the time, the source of that salvation was right behind him. It was emblazoned, uh, he was emblazoned on the, on the back of his coat. So in a sense, it, Robbie too is worshipping the messengers of salvation rather than the divine saviour himself. And this is what these Hebrew Christians were doing. Now, I dare to say that uh, angel worship is probably not high on our list of kind of spiritual uh, dangers and challenges today, but what are the potential um, equivalents for us? And I, I wonder if it might be some kind of undue reverence for a particular church leader or writer of Christian books. Could it be that you, we know more about them that, uh, and in the books than the actual saviour that they're messengers of. Or, or might it be a devotion to a particular church or church denomination instead of the saviour of that church? Or might it be a, a, a love of a particular liturgy or a form of worship rather than the one to whom the liturgy points? Or given that we're here, might it be a particular political leader or party that's gradually assuming that position in our thinking that they can solve all of society's problems if only they were in government or if only they were in government a bit longer? <laughs> and also just remember how closely associated the angels were uh, with the giving of God's law. They, these, these Jewish Christians were tempted to go back to the pur purification um, they were tempted to leave the purification of sins by Christ for them, one on the cross, and, and going back to achieving their own purification um, through trusting in the law. And as Christians today, there are, there are endless ways in which we can do that same thing. And I wonder if our Christian faith and practice are all about doing enough to please God through either our moral behaviour or our religious practice, or, or both, instead of re receiving that salvation that's already been won for us on the cross by the Eternal Son, our Creator and Redeemer. So chapter 2, verse 1, the writer implores us not to drift away from this supreme message about Jesus the Son, the one who's nothing less than our God, our Creator, our judge and our everlasting king. But secondly, and very briefly, do you see in verses uh, 3 and 4 of chapter 2 that the writer also says that don't drift away because the, the message about Jesus the Son, is a sh it's a sure message. So verse 4, he writes that this salvation of Jesus the Son was testified to by God in signs, wonders and various miracles. And these are the miracles of Jesus recorded in the Gospels. They're, they're very public acts done in front of huge crowds of people. The religious authorities who opposed Jesus weren't able to dismiss uh, his miracles as magic tricks or, or make-believe. It's really striking. You notice in the Gospel accounts that Jesus' opponents never attempt to argue that the miracles didn't happen. Instead, they try and bring him down by saying that actually they were done by evil power uh, instead. And furthermore, the person writing this letter clearly had access to eyewitness accounts of Jesus' public ministry and its accompanying miracles. You see the end of verse 3. 
This was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Now, this letter was written approximately 30 years after the death of Jesus, and it was based on eyewitness testimony. There were still so many people alive at the time of the writing letter who could testify to the truth and be cross-examined about what they'd seen. The message about the salvation of Jesus the Son was, was sure for those first Jewish Christians reading this letter, and it's sure for us today, because we can track its faithful transmission in, in manuscripts from those earliest times to today. We don't have to stick our heads in the sand as Christians and, and sort of try and make ourselves believe it. It's a sure, it's a sure message. And finally, as I, as I close, it's an urgent message. And verse 2 tells us why. This message, spoken through the angels, was the Old Testament law given by God to his people, and it was binding, it's described as binding. It revealed the perfect holiness and goodness of God, and, and that failure to keep that law would, would result in God's judgment. And the, and the whole Old Testament story is uh, about how God's people are not good enough to keep his law. And it puts them under God's judgment. And they're constantly in that cycle. But at the same time, the Old Testament tells the story uh, of the temple, the priests, the sacrificial system, that they all point to a salvation that God himself would provide from that judgment. A sacrifice in the place of the people was necessary to take away sins. And the message of the New Testament is that Jesus the Son is that sacrifice. He is that great salvation. And so the writer says in verse 3, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? God has revealed to us our Saviour. So we'd be crazy, verse 1, not to pay the most careful attention to what we've heard about him. Now, I suspect all of us know what it's like to be around the Houses of Parliament at reshuffle time. Expectant MPs and peers clear their diaries, they check their phones constantly, call their offices to see if there have been any messages or calls from number 10. The PM would like to see you. Arguably, arguably the most urgent message that any parliamentarian is ever likely to receive. And in reshuffle week, it's unthinkable that any MP or peer would turn their phones off and not pay the most careful attention, isn't it? Well, how much more, then, does, does that apply to this message, the most urgent message that any of us are ever going to receive? The supreme message of salvation to be found in Jesus, the divine Son, the creator, the everlasting King, and the sure message about him, testified to uh, by God in miracles and uh, through the eyewitnesses. So the obvious question to ask as we close is, are we, are we listening? And will we keep listening in the coming weeks as we hear more about the supreme <coughs> and sure message in the letter to the Hebrews. Well, let's pray now and ask for God's help that we might do that. Let's pray. 
how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, today we ask, and in the coming weeks, please help us to pay the most careful attention to the supreme and sure message of salvation of Jesus, our Creator, our Redeemer, our King. And please help us to live lives of of love, joy and service in response to him. We ask it in his name. Amen.